Hello, hello. My name is Jordan and I'm your host. And today we are joined by a very, very, very special guest. This is our first guest of 2022 and also our first guest that is being recorded. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So, Seika, just tell us who you are. Who are we listening to right now? (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. My name is Seika Brown. I'm a 20-year-old researcher. I'm advocating for mental health. Basically what I do is I run my own independent research initiative that studies how mental health is described across cultures and backgrounds. And it's just been amazing. I've been doing this specific part of my work for the past year. And we've done interviews over five continents and over 15 plus countries. And it's just listening to people and listening to people and how they like talk about mental health. And so it's been a good time. Awesome. Love that. Love that. Yeah, so we're just going to be talking a little bit more about Seika and all that she has done over the years, um, whether that be high school, middle school. We can go even back to elementary yeah. school if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just going to talk a little bit more about her and her background with um, mental health advocacy. And then we'll be moving on to a little bit about how this impacted her. Uh, personally because obviously we don't want to have like this little bragging session (laughs) hate that Um, amen honestly (laughs) literally and kind of just what she learned from that sort of experience because i'm sure she has gained a lot of insights over her time and lastly we'll be talking a little bit about bicultural mental health um or well her bicultural mental health background because as I know, I was going to say as we know, but you guys don't know as a listeners. <laughs> um, she does have a Japanese and English background, which is a little bit of a weird combination, not going to lie, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. I know it's a little strange when I, when I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I'm half Japanese, I'm half English. They're like, oh, in America too. And I'm like, yup, don't, don't ask. I have no clue. <laughs> a whole bunch of different flavors, but we love it. We love exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And yeah, so this is Forever Blooming, but of course, as my listeners know, we're going to start a little bit with a Rose Thorn Bud segment, and if you don't know what a Rose Thorn Bud segment is, for all of my new listeners, a rose is a highlight success small win and something positive that has happened today or within the last week. A thorn is a challenge you experienced or something you can use more support with. And lastly, a bud are some new ideas that have blossomed or something that you're looking forward to knowing more about or experiencing. So I'm going to just back down a little bit because I'm <laughs> sure all of my listeners know I've talked about my rose thorn bud all the time, so we're going <laughs> to hand it over to Seika. What is your rose thorn bud? <laughs> yeah, I will say that my I just flew back into New York today um, to start school. And the first two weeks are online, you know, we love COVID and all. But um, flying yeah. back here, it wasn't that bad, actually. And I, my roommate picked me up and we went some, we did some grocery shopping and it was just really nice to see her again and just to spend some mm-hmm. some nice peaceful time. I mean, like, I know grocery shopping can be, like, kind of stressful for many people, but when you're shopping with a good friend, with your roommate, like, it's kind of, <laughs> it was, like, the perfect way to get back to New York, and so that was really nice. Um, I'll say that's definitely my rose. In terms of my thorn and bud, they kind of go hand in hand, not going to lie. Like, a thorn, I've been talking with my friend Emily recently about kind of, like, the whole struggle of, like, self-love, especially in this kind of work, but... Mm-hmm. But is like her and I are kind of going down this self-love path together. And last mm. week, it has been amazing. I felt like I've been feeling a lot more just like content with myself and a lot more happy with myself. And so it's still a struggle, but I see it blossoming. So I'm happy. 
Oh wow, I love that you said blossom because forever oh blooming. Oh my god. <laughs> <You guys. laughs> love that. We love the bonding moment. We love the journey that you're going on. Love Thank to see you. it. <laughs> um, just to go over my rose thorn bud. Y'all, I've been talking about this for the last couple months, but I'm finally graduating this Friday. Um, well, I guess it wouldn't be this Friday for you guys, but two days before this episode has released, I am <laughs> graduating. So when you hear this, I'm graduated. Yes, congratulations! Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I'm just super, super excited about that. Um, and I am also doing a graduation speech, and there's going to be a recording, so if you want to look it up, you can. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, um, but a thorn, honestly, this week has been so, so busy. Um, if you guys are like an active member within Forever Blooming, you guys know that we did recently have an event. And while it was just like the most amazing event, just everybody coming together, talking about advocacy and all about volunteer opportunities, it was stressful as heck to plan. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, but overall, I guess the bud is just, I'm excited to look forward to, well, I'm looking forward to more events in the future and just meeting more people and networking and just like creating an awesome atmosphere, especially just knowing that this will ex hopefully expand our organization more and improve it constantly so yeah super excited about that That's um, amazing. thank you <laughs> 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 um yeah so we'll just jump right into topic one so we're just going to talk a little bit more about seca so the first thing we want to talk about and focus on is your policy focused organization can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah, and so I actually started working in the field of mental health since I was 15. I just turned 20 this past December. Um, and so it's been about five years now. And so the first organization that I ran was when I was a sophomore in high school all the way up until I was a senior in high school. So 15 to 18, I ran a nonprofit organization that focused on mental health policy change and awareness. Um, my team and I, for the three years that we were working, we worked in two legislation sessions, passing one bill um and gosh it was a crazy experience i will say like i look back to my at it and i'm like there's no way i passed a bill but hey my team <laughs> and i did it like it's like it's one of those things that you just don't soak in like you never you're never like oh yeah i did that you're just like what the heck but yeah and so we focus on mental health specific policies the first bill that we worked on was a suicide prevention bill specifically around funding for high schools across the state in washington um sadly that bill did not get passed but the amazing thing that came from that was that we were able to have this beautiful experience working with adults, working in the system to get things, you know, attempting to get things done. I think I was very valuable as a 15 year old, 16 year old seeing how this goes. And so the bill that we actually did get passed in probably late 2019 was around centering, um, making student well-being centers across Washington state. So now Washington state school districts all have youth representatives that talk to local representatives about both physical physical problems, but also mental health problems and talking what kind of resources they need. So having young people work directly with their local representatives was kind of the focus of that bill. And hey, that got passed. And so I'm super hey. proud of that one. Thank we you, love thank you. it. We love it. Um, I especially just admired the fact that you did want to uh, pass a suicide prevention bill because honestly, that has been such an issue with like growing up and being a teenager yeah. is those feelings of just 
confusion, feelings of hurt. Very new feelings that are hard to navigate. Um, and just knowing that you were there fighting for it. And even though it didn't get passed, it was mentioned and people are going to know more about that and be more aware about that, especially adults that were dealing with that sort of issue. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think something that's amazing in terms of working in mental health is that even if things don't get you know passed or published um, in a professional setting, it does always move forward in erasing stigma. And I think, I mean, that's what my experience was, is that even though we didn't pass that bill, we taught these you know adults that this is a serious topic and young people should be part of the conversation. And so I felt like we won one way or another. So I was happy yeah, with Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I love the idea of the well-being centers. Like, honestly, that was sort of my issue with mental health. I always felt like it was more of an individual sort of struggle, even yeah. though it didn't really have to be. Like, everybody is always trying to, like, search for help or wanting help or maybe are afraid to even ask for help, but still wanting to get some sort of help. So knowing that you don't really have to struggle alone, that you can make that sort of change with the sort of local representatives that you did mention, that's mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's so, like, I, in high school, what really led me into the field of mental health was that I had a psychology project when I was 15 for my sophomore psychology class. Long story short, we had to make a presentation, present the presentation, and it had to be around, like, kind of raising awareness or, you know, finding a solution to a problem in high school. And I chose like stress and anxiety. And my principal was like, no, your idea is terrible. And the idea was to have a resource hub. So basically kids can know what resources was available for them. And so I was like, okay. Um, and so I went straight to the representatives. I think, you know, you're gonna have some pushback sometimes when you're especially talking to adults, but that's why it was mm -hmm. amazing to be able to work with, you know, actual representatives in getting something like this passed. For sure. And Honestly, I'm, I'm still kind of bamboozled. Like, how is that not a good idea? <laughs> I I don't know. It's like the easiest thing to pass. But I mean, look at me. Like, it's the easiest club idea. Like, I wasn't like, creating anything. I was just showing everyone what we already had. And she was like, no, but. That's it's okay. so we're, weird. We're past that. That was five years ago. I'm past that now, <laughs> I guess. But <laughs> it's okay. I'll hold the grudge for you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> No, but honestly, I just want to talk a little bit about how just like not being taken seriously really has an effect, especially as a teenager. I have definitely experienced that in my own life. Sort of looking down on you just because you're a teenager as if I know that teenagers can be impressionable and teenagers can go through these emotions that they're not entirely aware of how to figure out. But that doesn't mean that their opinions or like thoughts and beliefs are less than others, especially yeah. adults, because most of your like core beliefs form when you are a teenager, right. when you are a young adult. So having that sort of mindset that oh teenagers teenagers don't know what they're talking about is just absolutely flawed yeah <laughs> yeah i think exactly when i was working specifically and getting things like that club passed in my high school there was a lot of pushback because like i was a terrible high school student they were like you have no credibility you have no you know you don't you can't even be a good student why do we think that you could be a good like club president um and it was kind of discouraging because I was like, this, this is a great idea, I feel like. And I wanted to at least talk about it. 
Um, for like example, when the bill didn't get passed, the first bill, I was able to sit down with the legislators and senators that said no, and they helped me realize why it didn't get passed. You know, they, they helped oh, me cool. look at the, exactly. And like, that's why I was happy that I was able to build this connection that even though they said no to the bill, they weren't saying no to the idea. They were saying no to the specifics, you know, the, the little faulty details that were not there. And so mm -hmm. that was a lot more genuine than having my principal just be like, no, screw you. You're not going to have to And like, it's, it's a matter of like, like you said, teenage years are the years where you learn the most. And there is a huge difference when you have an adult that just completely shuts you down and you have an adult that kind of helps you walk through the process. It's a completely learning, like a complete different like learning process. Absolutely. And yeah. really just centering on that sort of, oh, low GPA means you're not trying, you're not a good student, you're exactly. not competent at all. I hate that. Like, as yeah. you said, if you work with the students individually and try to help them learn, if you try mm -hmm. to help them get through these complex times, it's most likely going to be more effective than just completely being shut down. Because Exactly. Yeah. Um, if you think that low GPA students are just these troubled kids, they're going to be more troubled if you're going to just say, no, you're stupid. Exactly. Go away. <laughs> yeah, and I was really lucky because like I graduated high school with a 2.6 GPA, probably like 1100, less than 1100 SAT score. And so, and I go to Cornell University now, which is an Ivy League institution. And so it's a complete, thank you. It's a complete, <laughs> it's a complete, you know, opposite what you would think of for a, like a student going into Cornell or like a really high, you know, uh, institution and universities. But what mattered was that I had this idea and there was someone that was willing to listen to it and foster mm -hmm. that idea versus someone that shut it down. Not only did my principal like, shut down my idea, they didn't even offer me help in becoming a better student. Mm -hmm. I became a better student when I began to take the things that I cared about more seriously and when other people took them seriously too. Like, as long as you're passionate about something, it will go far, but it helps when you realize that there's people that care about what you're passionate about. And so mm -hmm. you see that differences in adults all the time. But I guess you win some, you lose some. Yeah, literally, quite literally. And just talking a little bit more about that sort of transition between like your high school years. How do you act out your mental health advocacy now, knowing that you are 20 years old in college? Oh, did you? <laughs> not, not the 20. Like, I'm still not, I'm still processing that I'm 20 now. That's insane. I don't feel like I... Like I know it's I know it's very young by all means, but I hear it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm 20. <laughs> okay, my bad, my bad. No, don't don't so, don't apologize. This, this gram <laughs> grandma over here. No, <laughs> no, honestly. But yeah, I mean, coming into college, I like I said, I focused my organization for those three years in high school around policy, which was really exciting and it was a great experience. Um, I find it really difficult being completely genuine all the time in politics um for many reasons um and i, I kind of strive myself off of the person of being genuine in every setting that i go to the same way i talk to you is the same way i talk to my friends the same way i talk to anyone which some people say is disrespect but at the same time i feel like it's respectful you know what i mean i will yeah. respect you enough to just care about everyone the same way you know what i mean and so coming into college um i think when you go into university it's a lot of or even graduate high school um it's a lot of self-reflection and it, that does kind of come into my personal background of coming from this bicultural household, being half Japanese and half English. I became really aware of how my culture really affected my perspective on mental health. And so while I appreciate the policy, I kind of wanted to dive into that research idea of how does culture affect mental health. And so coming into college last year as a freshman, 
I disbanded my old organization. Like I had friends that were going to the Navy, friends going to, you know, across the world for co colleges. Like it was not appropriate to bring <laughs> this out of there. And so I founded my new organization, which is the one I mentioned when I introduced myself. And it's kind of really just based around having young leaders do global research around mental health and kind of showing people that we're not here to help you, we're here to listen. Um, I will not say I have the next best solution. I won't go interview someone from another country and say, let me tell you what you need to do to fix yourself. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like learning to sit back and learn from them and listen to them and see their experiences and try to present a new solution. So um, it's been a really fun time this past year in college, just being able to kind of do this global research. Love that. My first immediate thought, even though it was like completely just random off topic, <laughs> when you were talking about, I'm not going to tell you what to do, even though mm -hmm. you're from a different culture, from a different setting. My first thought was just like American colonialism. <laughs> no, exactly though. That's exactly what I was worried about. Like I want to learn. I think especially as like, in this day and age where we have so much technology, we have so much unification now in the things that we do. I think it's equally important to talk about the people that, you know, is working with us or we, that we're hearing about. Like I, we, we should learn about people's cultures. I'm not saying we should adapt them into our lives. I'm saying we should be aware of them. We should recognize that there's differences and just be okay with that. Um, and so the last thing I would want to do is come in um, and be like, let me, I'm English. This is bad. Like if I come in and I'm like, hey like let me tell you what's up like that's the last thing i want to yeah. be and so it's been like pretty i'm hyper aware of that because it's super important talking about cultures is important but i don't want to dictate another person's culture so yeah absolutely and honestly that kind of just reminds me of this class that i took in college well whoa not in college but this college class that i took in high yes. school <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I mean, hey, you're graduating, might as well get there. <laughs> Literally, but um, I took uh, this anthropology class and just everything that you're talking about is reminding me of this class. And I absolutely am such a nerd for anthropology. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Amen. I'm actually minoring in anthropology. Um, I A lot of this work that I do right now in the global research field is it kind of falls under this medical anthropology. It's learning about people's um, kind of like cultural medicine in a way, you know, there are spiritual ways that they treat depression or things like schizophrenia. Um, like you see totally different medical practices in treating mental health or addressing mental health. And so you, I, there's been a lot of medical anthropology touching into my work, which is super exciting. I'm loving it. I love that. Love that. I always just thought of like, people actually like I watched this whole documentary about this woman who is an anthropologist I really don't remember the documentary I wish I could tell you so you could watch it because it's amazing but it yeah. was just this woman visiting different countries and just trying to learn about their cultures in order to um, effectively uh, combat climate change and everything like that wow. and mm -hmm. their sort of uh, ways of doing it and even though she was not directly, again, instructing them on what right. to do, she was taking these tips and gathering these tips in order to find like this holistic way to combat climate change. And that's pretty exactly. much how I see your research from that sort of perspective. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly what I'm going for is that, you know, I think mental health is such a big thing now and it's becoming such a big thing. And before we get messy about how do we treat it, globally. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to hear the tips and recommendations from people and then come back, you know, with an actual professional that can address it and learn what to do with that information. So that's definitely what I'm looking at. 
Oh, do you actually want to see that happen in the future with like somebody looking at all your research and like actually figuring it yeah, out? Yeah, that would be that'd be great. Like, I don't think I'm personally like, I, you know, I'm a sophomore in university in my undergraduate year. I mean, maybe I will be that person down the line, but I don't think I'm that person right now. Um, and I think there's a lot more qualified individuals that are specifically in this field that could probably look at the statistics and the data more clearly. Um, basically what we're doing with this project, you know, Wild G is that we're doing these interviews and at the end of them, we're going to analyze and look at the similarities and differences between these countries and these cultures and see where is their global overlap and where is their cultural difference. Um, and just like, learning and accepting and like, just kind of like looking at that in a widespread view and hopefully maybe publish a research paper about it. But that's kind of a long-term goal. Love that. Love that. Awesome. So I think we're just going to switch gears a little bit now that you guys know more about Sega and what she has done and what she is currently doing. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about how this personally has affected you and how, what you've learned. Share all the insights for everybody to learn from you. <laughs> right. Yeah, like I said, what really led me to do cultural research was coming from my background itself. Um, and having my mom come from Japan and my dad coming from England, you see these very different views on mental health and how we talk about mental health. Um, I was eight years old when my brother attempted suicide. And so we had to learn as a family, how do we address this problem, both within, within America, but also within my parents' own personal viewpoints of what mental health is. Um, and so I think by doing this, I was able to like look back in my life and give my parents a lot of grace and realizing that their perspectives around mental health isn't right and it isn't wrong, it just is, right? That's just whatever it is for them. And like, it's not my place to say if that's correct or not. Um, I think it taught me, you know, to sit back a little bit and just to be humbled and just listen. And I think personally, it's helped me be a better friend. It helped me be a better daughter, a better sister, just because I'm learning that like, we all define mental health differently. And because of that, I'm able to look at my friends, I'm able to look at my parents and be like, that's how they process it. And just because I wouldn't process it the same way doesn't mean that isn't good for them. And I think it's been really helpful in like building genuine connections just in my personal life that I'm able to just like, yeah, that makes sense for them. And mm -hmm. I love that as long as they're well and living a good life and that's all that matters. So I feel like that's the, the main thing that I've learned, but yeah. I love that. Honestly, that sort of, understanding that people process things differently is what really leads to empathy with people mm -hmm. because a lot of people will just stick by their own mindset and think that everybody yeah. else is wrong but you really have to consider just like the background um yeah i can definitely say that especially with uh coming from my own background knowing that my mother views mental health differently than i mm -hmm. do there was a lot a lot a lot of clash like for example right. i'm a very very feelsy person i will mm -hmm feel it and deal with it and then move on. But my mother is a kind of just like, I'll deal with this emotions later. But exactly. <laughs> really that has, again, just helped her cope with those situations that she dealt with. And right. this has definitely helped me grow personally. And they're very different. I don't exactly agree with all the things that she does, but exactly. it has led her to be the person that she is. So I can't say it's wrong, like you've mentioned before. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think something that really helped me is that like, especially having both my parents come from really drastic, you know, drastically different backgrounds. You know, I'm still equally as English as I am Japanese, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm split down the middle. And those are both of my cultures, but it's different because I'm not fully one or the other. And so learning 
and giving grace to my parents in process was giving grace to me because I, of course, adopted some of my parents' beliefs without knowing it as a child. And like, I grew with that. And so kind of understanding like, oh, okay, this is where this part of my mind comes from. And this is where this part of my mind comes from. And be like, this makes a lot more sense. It doesn't mean I'm mm -hmm. happy with it, but I understand myself a lot better by listening to other people talk about themselves too. And so it's been, like I said, it's been really good to just like sit back and kind of hear their people's stories and hear just how people experience and define mental health. For sure. I think learning to listen, like, as I said, that sort of understanding that everybody processes things differently yeah. can lead to empathy, but also learning to listen and really process that as well. Something that I struggle with, not gonna lie, <laughs> when it comes to just like, this is why I always tell people I would be horrible at debate. Like I mm. honestly like admire people that are in debate class because right. I'm the type of person that's just like, yes, I have this standpoint and I see flaws in your argument and they're wrong, but I don't know how to explain why they're wrong because right. this is my argument. So exactly yeah so, yeah <laughs> yeah i think um when i was in high school right i was this very ambitious stubborn 15 year old that you know saw a problem that was going on and i wanted to see things you know get better and so i would demand change and i think it's good you know especially at a young age let's say if you're in high school especially utilize your youth in the terms of like being able you know you're still really young but you're still really intelligent you're able mm -hmm. to use your youth as a way to help others. And I think that is beautiful. But I think as I came into college and I came like, you know, there's not much of a difference between the, you know, the years, but as I came into college and I came into this more global perspective, I realized that I've demanded people to listen to me in this past three years in high school. I would make testimonies, I would make speeches, I would ask people to listen to whatever I'm saying. And I realized how thankful I was that I was able to be like, heard and I realized mm -hmm. I now have the ability to listen to others. I can make people feel the way I once felt. And I think that was the biggest thing too, is that learning to kind of give back what I once demanded and like kind of flipping the script and learning to sit back and just listen. For sure. And definitely listening and being heard is something that is a very, very powerful thing. I know, especially like as somebody who goes to therapy, knowing that my therapist can understand <laughs> sort of where I'm coming from right. and just knowing that I can just vent without any sort of judgment is very very powerful thing and I'm wondering how does that sort of kind of play a role in just your experience with interviewing others yeah. about their own experiences yeah I think it goes you know two directions but ultimately comes back together I will have some amazing interviews with these really you know lively people that are loving their life and it's really encouraging to hear you know, just people, you know, talk about mental health and be so passionate about it. And you can see them love it. And like that love is so radiating. But at the same time, there's conversations that I have and interviews that I do with people who have like really, you know, they're talking to me and you can tell how sad they are, or you can mm -hmm. tell how, you know, they're not, you know, they're in their low, you know, they're in their thorn. Um, oh my God, they're thorn. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I think what i've learned the most about both the hard stories and the great stories is that they're both equal um i think it's beautiful because all these stories that i'm hearing from people that you know their perspectives i there's this girl i interviewed and she was telling me about the hardships in her family life and losing basically everyone in her family and having to move to another country but she told you know this really you know saddest story with a smile on her face laughing throughout it and you could just like that is so beautiful 
she wasn't saying that she was happy because of her situation. She was saying that there's still love in the world. She was saying that there's still good things. And that is what she's going to look at over than looking at all the bad things too. So I think, you know, it's, it, it's both a slap in the face and it's also like, really like, wow, like there's people out in this world that really struggle. Um, and in these interviews, there's not much I can do to help them. You know, there's not much, I'm just sitting, you know, in front of a computer, you know, with someone across the world, like there's not much I can do as a you know 20 year old, 19 year old at the time. But what I can do is just give them the space to talk about it because that doesn't exist everywhere. Um, and I think it's just really encouraging to hear people's story and hear people like look, oh, like look at them and look at them and realize that they're relieved at the end of it. They're like, this is, this is my life and I'm proud of it is kind of like a sentiment that is shared across all of the interviews. And I think the world kind of like stigmatizes talking about life as a this constantly bad thing, but it's amazing to see people just love life and love the highs and love the lows equally. They, they don't shame, they're not ignorant to the hardship, but they embrace it. And I, again, I think that has really changed my mindset and perspectives on a lot of things that I would, I would personally go through. Oh, wow. That I haven't even been through these interviews, but now I'm just getting this sort of like boost, like, <laughs> oh my God, even though I, I love my life. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Like it's a matter of like, you don't, there was something that I think my brother told me once is that like loving life doesn't mean you have to love the circumstance that you're in. You just, you're just yeah. loving that you're able to live, right? It's, you don't have to love the circumstances that you're facing in this moment or the circumstances that you faced growing up, but you can love the fact that you are here today. And I think that is a beautiful perspective shift that I've definitely embraced the more I've done these interviews. Absolutely. Oh man. Let me find out. I'm I'm gonna start my own research company. No. <laughs> no, go, go for it. I'm here for it. I am here for this. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Love that. Um, really, that is really inspiring, honestly. Um, I do wonder, even though you are listening to the stories and gaining that sort of hope, there also is that sort of underside of like listening to these stories. I know, like, for example, my therapist has a therapist because yeah. <laughs> she has to listen to all of these really, really heavy stories, which of course is very beneficial to unload and have somebody listen from an unbiased perspective, yeah. but it can be very, very um, damaging. It can be very yeah. heavy to your own sort of mental health. So how do you cope with that? What's your experience with that? Yeah, like I think like, I mentioned like, I don't ever want to come off as this, you know, ungenuine person. Um, when you work in the field of mental health, you know that every single person in this field is in it for a reason, and it's probably going to be a personal reason. Um, and so the more I do this work, it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, at the perfect mental state. I will do an interview one day, and I'm like, I know I should not be doing this, but I'm doing this anyways, and I will leave it. And like, yes, I feel encouraged by hearing this person, but I also just feel like like i i have my own you know in life i have my own story and sometimes i'm like i'm listening to all these people but who is listening to me and i think what gives me grace a lot of the times and a lot of peace is like my friends is a beautiful like they're a beautiful group of people um my high school friends been with me ever since my freshman year it's been over five mm -hmm. years now and the friends that i have here at college my roommates um just the people that i know i like spent uh, Thanksgiving with my friend in Pennsylvania. And it was just yeah. a beautiful, like rejuvenating experience just to like be a person. Um, I think it's easy to get my, like, it's easy to get lost in these interviews. It's easy to get lost in other people's lives. And so having, you know, people in my life that ground me in, in being me, that I'm someone outside of the work I do, that I'm someone outside of like the beliefs I have, I'm just a person, um, I think is really comforting. And so I think that's my main mechanism of coping, but 
Um, something that I do within their interviews is like, I don't, again, I don't change who I am. I will be <laughs> honest with that person. I'd be like, yeah, like that's a struggle. Like this is something that I'm experiencing. If I'm asking people to share their life and their stories, I need to be equally as willing to share mine. And I do my best, especially in the field like mental health, you have to be authentic because if you're not, then what are you presenting? Like my mental health, there are days where I'm like, I'm so tired. I'm so done. I'm so like impatient. I'm out to lose my mind, but. <laughs> It's like, it's it's going through those highs and those lows. And like, sometimes the interviews help and sometimes like, it's not that the person's draining, it's just like the work is. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I'm a workaholic by habit and it's not something I'm proud of. I do not recommend it, but I think I think it's a learning process. I think I'm learning, like I mentioned, like in my throat in my butt, like I'm learning to be patient with myself and like realize that I'm still a kid and I don't need to have all this figured out. I'm not supposed to know how to handle all of this and it's not supposed to be all me. And so mm -hmm. I think, it's been like a back and forth of like, what do I do? And then like, just taking a step back and be like, no, like this is me and that's okay. And I love that. Oh, that, <laughs> that deserves a million claps. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> At the end of the day, I can totally relate with that sort of workaholic aspect. Right. Also just realizing that I am more than my work also, but right. also just being patient and you know, being vulnerable and honest and authentic. I think a lot of the time when it comes to mental health as well, um, just as a little side note, mm -hmm. there are a lot of like companies and people right. that advocate for mental health, which is absolutely beautiful, absolutely amazing. Yeah. But there isn't a lot of sort of uh, transparency with this sort mm -hmm. of own experience. And also this kind of false narrative as if um, you can just smile and be okay. Right, right. So. Yeah. I think hearing that you share your own sort of stories within those or interviews and knowing that you are being authentic is the most valuable way to spread like awareness and right. alleviate that sort of stigma. Starting that conversation, of course. Exactly. I something that my best like I, one of my best friends from home. Her name is Natalie, and she is the most like loving person, in, like one of the most loving people in my life. And when I came back for winter break from New York back to Seattle up in Washington she was like you seem a little off like what's going on and i was like no like i'm good i'm just tired and she she kind of like slapped me in the face with her words and she <laughs> said she said to me she said seika i love you and i don't care if you save thousands of lives and i don't care if you listen to thousands of lives if it comes at the cost of your well-being mm -hmm. and when she said that to me i will tell you like i was like that makes sense right like if I neglect myself when I'm talking about mental health, then what narrative am I promoting? What <laughs> narrative am I talking about here? And so again, like just realizing that just because I can do all these things in in in, in that I'm taking away from my own well-being, it's, <laughs> it's counterintuitive and it's not doing something good. It's not doing something beneficial. And so I that those words have stuck with me, let me tell you. But like she's not she's not wrong at all. Like if <laughs> I think you know I can take care or listen to all these people then I'm like I'm not doing it for the right reasons I should be doing it because I like to be listened to and so does everyone else and so I think it's coming to that mutual like friendship ability it's just to be like yeah this is life like and we can talk about it absolutely I think that sort of lesson that you can also allow yourself some space mm -hmm. it's also allowing other space to be heard exactly. and listened exactly awesome i love that thank you thank you <laughs> um yeah we're just going to do a little bit of a switch again mm -hmm. um 
absolutely amazing conversation so far just hearing your experiences and what you learned um just to dive a little bit more me myself i'm very black as you guys can see <laughs> and i don't have that sort of bicultural uh background and i've always wondered how that sort of experience is because i know personally with my own experience just navigating a very white dominated world as a black person is very difficult and i can never imagine how that sort of can play into that sort of biculturality and having those multiple perspectives especially adding on to the america's part so it's yeah. kind of just like japanese english, english america American. a lot <laughs> yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do you want to I, talk a little bit about that yeah i'd love to i mean i'm i I definitely like think that when I was in elementary school and middle school, I didn't really recognize my background that much. Um, I think, especially when you're young, like you can remember a few things um, that really stuck out to you when people like, pointed it out, for example, like that you're you're different. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I didn't understand it. Um, I was in a white-dominated neighborhood, and I'm white. But I would go home and I would celebrate Japanese beliefs. I would celebrate Japanese culture. I wouldn't go home and I wouldn't celebrate, you know, American culture. I would go home and I would celebrate Japanese culture. But mm -hmm. I would go to school and I would celebrate, you know, American culture there. And so this, it was like this weird dichotomy of like celebrating three different things. And with my dad, he grew up in a military family in England, traveling across Europe. And so he's coming from this strict background, you know, but also like very lenient in life. And so I think what really kind of nailed it in my head was coming to college and realizing like the people I want to spend time with. Um, what circles am I going around? Like my roommates, um, they all come from Asian backgrounds, but they also equally embrace me. They are part of a Chinese association here on campus, but it's not like restricted to Chinese people. It's just, it's, it's open to all anyone really. And they invited me to go one day and I was like, oh no, like I'm not like, they're like, what do you mean you're not? You, like you are Asian <laughs> and I was like yeah but I, you're right like, <laughs> like I didn't even think about that I mean I think it was pretty difficult um my mom speaks pretty much complete Japanese um mm -hmm. especially growing up she knew my mom and I probably learned English together throughout like my English textbooks and like you know as a kid um but it was a lot of learning that I'm equally as Japanese as I am English and I'm proud to be Japanese and I'm proud to be English and I think what comes from it is sometimes is a lot of guilt because I know that especially with my mom is that I have a lot of things that are given to me in life just simply because of the way I look and at the same time I still feel for my community because that is still my community I think being a mixed culture or bicultural um like coming from a bicultural background is difficult sometimes because you want to support both sides of your family but you don't know how to do it sometimes um and I think that's my biggest struggle when it comes to into it and growing up, obviously, I unconsciously suppressed my Japanese identity, but mm -hmm. I am a Japanese American woman doing mental health research. And that's something I'm 100% about like, loving. And I think it's kind of like building your own community for me. But um, I, yeah, it was definitely difficult growing up. I didn't really understand the differences of culture. I just accepted mm -hmm. it because that was my normal. Wow. I think I definitely relate to, like, as I said, mm -hmm. I am very black and <laughs> navigating that sort of white community. I definitely relate to that sort of sense of, like, 
realizing or not really realizing that you're different until like an older age um especially yeah. since oh sorry you i just me? i i just remembered something oh you I, sorry i remembered when i was like a senior in high school it was a summer going into college and i was sitting around a bonfire at my friend's house and his neighbor comes out and we're like talking and stuff and he asked me for his name and his, his neighbor asked me for my name and i tell him it's Seika. And he's like, oh, like that's that's too foreign. Let's give you an American name. And I remember sitting there, and like that was like the first time I really, really experienced someone being like, mm, no. And I'm like, I remember like being flabbergasted about that. Cause oh my God. I, even though I suppressed my Japanese identity unconsciously throughout like elementary and middle school, I am very much aware of it now. And <laughs> that is my name, and you are not taking that away from me. But I just remember that. Like, like you said, like you you just kind of like experience something and you're just like wow <laughs> yeah that's crazy i know that especially like i'm not from uh africa but i know that i've spoken to a lot of immigrants from africa talking about how people have chosen to call them a different name or call them yeah. a different nickname just because their name has like six syllables or something you will learn their name <laughs> you yeah will you <laughs> you will either address me by my name or you will not talk to me <laughs> like, yeah, like literally and it's like crazy. there's i think yeah there's no shame in asking how to say someone's name i don't think there's any shame in asking like oh like that's a really cool name like where did like you know what's its origin where it's its background i think you know again like, that's the cultural curiosity that we should embrace and we mm -hmm. shouldn't reject, but I think we should also be aware about how we're having these conversations. Um, I'm glad that like, you know, my mom didn't, my mom and my dad, they didn't give me you know, like a whitewashed name. I'm glad that they gave me a name that is fitting for me. And like, this is who I am. And when people ask about it, I'm able to share my background. I'm able to share my culture. And again, like that's the narrative. I think we should be pushing. Absolutely. I hate that there, in America, there is like this really, really like, mainstream idea mm. that we have to force our heritage on other people we have to force, yeah. our, force our culture on other people because if you're different then that's supposedly bad question mark right exactly <laughs> um yeah like i i what was i gonna say like i have like a lot of different i'm part of a lot of different groups on campus um and one of them is like this christian organization that i'm mm -hmm. part of and they're a very embracing group. And I think that's one of the greatest things about that is that people get to share their cultures within a place where people love their faith and are exploring their faith. And like, there's people who come in for like Lunar's, um, like Lunar New Year's and they're able to like give like, they share it and we can talk about it and we can like, you know, in, ex experience these things together. And that's not like pushing culture, it's just sharing culture. Yeah. And I, again, I love that dynamic love that intersectionality is such a beautiful thing absolutely that is a, beautiful, that is a beautiful word amen <laughs> that's beautiful we love to see it beautiful <laughs> no but honestly just knowing that you are different can be very empowering and yeah. at certain times very encumbering knowing that there are people in the mainstream that think that oh yes we are white so we are going to force white ideals on you yeah Ugh please <laughs> i know but like i think as the more i've done global research and global work um the less you know i realize that like no like white people exist but so does every other person and mm -hmm. every other person is in these conversations and every one of these people should be and are respected 
right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's been the great, like regardless of your background, regardless of your sexuality, regardless of where you come from, that's just you. And we should embrace those things. And just like the same way I was able to learn to embrace my own culture. Absolutely. Um, man, I feel like this sort of turned into to like a little bit of a rant. Because <laughs> I know, my bad. <laughs> no, it's absolutely okay. I'm I can rant about that all day, all day long if I wanted to. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe we'll do a future episode on that. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think over time, learning to embrace your, uh, your own identity, but also knowing that you have to navigate these sort of different communities is very, very odd. It's a very odd experience. Um, knowing that you have this little corner, like for example, me and you, we did join these uh, clubs. Um, mm -hmm. For me, obviously, it was the Black Student Union. And knowing that we had that little community and we were able to just be ourselves, able to be proud of who we are. And then outside of that community, it was kind of just like, okay, we're back to the usual thing. So right. how do you sort of experience navigating those different communities, especially considering your biculturality? Yeah, I think it definitely ties in with the research that I do too is that I, again, I think genuineness and authenticity is the two things I constantly strive for. And so regardless if I, I go and be part of one community or part of the other, like I said, being mixed means I'm both. And mm -hmm. that means I'm not gonna suppress one side when I'm hanging out with the other or vice versa. I will just simply be me. And I think that has given me a lot of clarity in my research is that if I'm talking to another person about their country and their culture and their background, I have to talk to them about mine too. And I mm -hmm. think what helps me is that, like knowing that I am fighting the stigma of having to switch our narrative depending on who we're talking to, when I can remain the same, regardless of who I'm talking to, mm -hmm. right? Like I don't, I won't change who I am when I'm in a club that's specifically around Japanese Americans versus a club where you know it's just open to anyone like i'm i'm not going to be that person who's gonna perpetuate that narrative i'm gonna be the person to be like yeah i'm gonna be the same person in both of these places because i relate to both of these places and mm -hmm. i think embracing that has helped me in my work and has helped me as a person awesome i think it's also a very well i wouldn't say brave thing to do because really it shouldn't even be a sort of brave thing that it's kind of like it's right. a normal thing. You are from these different cultures and that is what it is. But I feel like, well, at least from my own experience, mm -hmm. it was sort of hard to um, navigate those other communities. Right. Um, especially, again, talking about that sort of suppression of um, your identity, knowing yeah. that I'm going to be viewed differently in si different situations with different uh, people and their different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. It was very hard to right. like be proud of who I am and just exist in certain spaces. But of course, over time, I have learned that I am just who I am and I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. If I'm in an entirely white group, I'm going to talk about black issues because I can. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. definitely complex. <laughs> it is. And I think something that I've learned is that if I remain, you know, constant in who I am with every person that I talk to, of course, there's going to be a few outliers where they, the situation will, will become awkward and I will feel uncomfortable. 
But I will walk away from that, from that conversation not feeling uncomfortable about who, like the, the person I am and where I come from. I will feel more confident and more proud that my character of loving who I am is what is going to show here. And mm -hmm. I think loving the character that I have is so important that I'm like, yeah, you know what? Even though this person has their own beliefs and their own opinions, at least, at least I can remain who I am in the conversations that I have. For sure. And I think inherently just being who you are in those spaces kind of also impacts change. Um, knowing that you're, I guess with, I'm going to say white people, but <laughs> I guess with sort of white people, they're expecting others to, this is very generalized, this is not every white person, of course, but mm -hmm. um, the white person, some white people that I've met have spoken to me as if I'm supposed to fit into their own communities, fit into their own groups. And knowing that I can just exist as who I am is kind of like impacting change again. And knowing that I don't have to um, work around you. I don't have to make yeah. you comfortable. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I think I think something that I've learned in my cultural work, um, like kind of doing these cultural interviews, is that the only reason people act the way they act is because they think they have to. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's, I mean, there often is sometimes ill intent, but when people are trying to be welcoming and they're trying to bring you into their community, they don't realize, you know, that's negative sometimes. They don't realize that could hurt. Like you're like, I appreciate that, but that's not my community. And you mm -hmm. want to show that. But you also want to be respectful of the fact that these people are trying to be welcoming to you, but they just don't know how. And so I think mm -hmm. that's why having these cultural conversations, doing my cultural interviews with mental health specifically has given a lot of clarity in that idea is that like, most people want to love and they and they, we have taken that away from people through media through whatever and i think erasing any pre-existing stigmas or you know beliefs or ideals coming into my conversations and my work has helped me realize that honestly most people just want to love and they're just too afraid and they just don't know how to and being able to flip that script and be like no like i appreciate you and i love you and i love this is For sure has like definitely changed a lot of things Awesome, awesome, awesome. Speaking of which, just thinking about how, well, thinking about everything we talked about, really just mm -hmm. all that you've done, what you've learned, thinking about how your biculturality has influenced this sort of conversation and all that you do, mm -hmm. what sort of things are coming next with that? How are you planning on um, expanding in the future? How are you planning on impacting in the future? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think something that at least 2022, what we're working towards is that we're hoping that these interviews that I'm doing across the world, where I'm like me talking to another person about someone else's culture and vice versa, um, we're going to try and do small um, conversation interviews where basically I am training young leaders from different countries to replicate the interviews that I've been doing within their own communities and within their own cultures. And so they can talk to another person that shares their culture and they can have a bigger, more kind of related experience about around mental health. And so that's something that we're working towards right now. I have a girl from Tanzania, a guy from India, and another guy from London that was able to kind of help me kind of formulate these conversations. Um, and oh, a girl from Malaysia as well. And I'm very excited to see how these conversations go in more of a local community setting. Um, <laughs> I'm also, I'm writing a book, which is exciting. Um, yeah, I've written like the first manuscript and I'm going back and I'm editing the second. Um, don't know when that's going to come out, but <laughs> one day, one day. But um, yeah, I think 
and and more of a character, more personality way. I, I just I hope and I pray that like I remain, you know, the genuine person that I am in all the conversations that I have. You know, I love what I love and I love what I believe, but I also want to know what you love and I also want to know what you believe. And I think um, having that mindset is is what matters at the end of the day. Awesome. I am very, very excited to see where you go, especially with the local community aspect. I think that um, I've had a lot of conversations like as a black person, I can't really relate to all the Japanese aspects. I mm-hmm. can't relate to especially the English aspect. I, I wish I was from Britain. No, but um, <laughs> I think uh, if I had this conversation with another African American, we could definitely right. dive a little bit more into the sort of stigmas against exactly. mental health. For So definitely, definitely love that. Um, and good luck on your book, of course. Love thank that. You, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and another exciting project that I'm working on, I'm working as a researcher with the Karolinska Institute, which is a medical university in Sweden. And we're leading these um, big, like, global focus group conversations where we're just talking, having young people across the world talk to each other in a group setting. And so that will be exciting to see how that goes this year as well. Awesome. Awesome. Looks like you got big things coming. And I definitely think think that this is going to be amazing as far as just, like, impacting the mental health cause. So Thank you so much. Of course. Uh, Any last words before we close out this episode? No, but I will just say, you know, remain genuine and make sure to listen awesome love that closing on a good note (laughs) of course of course awesome so just for you guys listening i do want to close out this episode thank you all for coming or coming whoa you guys are not here but you're here with me spiritually so i guess that's why i said that but (laughs) thank you all for (laughs) listening and watching um going to continue a little bit with the closing remarks we do have a website that is bloompod.wixsite.com slash rorg it used to be slash podcast but we are rebranding um so now it is slash org uh, you can find us on instagram twitter and facebook all at forever blooming org or twitter at forever bloom org and you can find sega at sega brown on i G, aka Instagram. <laughs> Plus, you can check out our website. It's full of a bunch of more things if you want to learn more about her at sagabrown.com. Definitely, definitely, definitely check that out. Thank Support you. her, of course. <laughs> and you can find the research, which there wasn't a lot of research, unfortunately, due to the lack of research for Japanese Americans. But you know, that's something to expand on in the future. But yeah. <laughs> the little amount of research for this episode is, and the transcript for this episode is in our website on our website in our extra section and you can find our podcast guest form if you want to be on the episode just like seika in our episode section if you want to be on our episodes and Amazing. you can also find our audience spotlight form where you can ask for advice to be featured in one of our episodes and you can find our email management at foreverbloompod.org please let us know your thoughts questions and how we can improve our podcast because we love hearing from you and be sure to check out fborg.card.co and that is card with two r's for all of our easy accessible links and lastly drumroll (laughs) make sure to like comment subscribe and rate us on spotify and share with your friends if you enjoyed this episode have a great day afternoon or night whenever you're listening to this thanks for tuning in